Welcome to the Bayshore Podcast. As listeners each week, whether through iTunes or through the church app, you're part of our church family. We would love for you to share stories of how Bayshore is impacting your life by sending us an email at amen at bayshorecc.org. As always, you can find all kinds of information and content on our website, bayshorecc.org. There's also our church app, which you could download by going to bayshorecc.org slash app. So thanks again for joining us this week, and we hope that today's message is a blessing to you. Well, today we begin our second part of the book of Acts, The Great Adventure, and we want to welcome our podcast listeners. We have podcast listeners who listen to us all over the place, and thank you for listening to our podcast, and if you're a podcaster, we're just really, really thankful for your part of listening to this message, and also our Facebook Live community, and uh, we welcome you as you're listening to Facebook Live. We just thank you for being a part of today's service, and we encourage you to come to Bayshore. Best way to experience Bayshore is to be here, but we're so glad you're plugging in and listening to us on Facebook Live. So I'm excited today as we start the second part of the book of Acts. We uh, are looking at uh, what happens in the second part of the book of Acts, and the reason we call this section of the book of Acts the Great Adventure is because this section of the book of Acts is where uh, Paul is planting churches. Now, if you've ever wondered what the New Testament is about, what is it about, how does it fit together, there's 13 letters in the New Testament written by Paul, 13 letters. So that's uh, almost half of the New Testament are letters written by Paul. So what are the letters that he wrote? The letters that he wrote are churches that he planted. He would plant a church, like for instance, he would plant a church in Corinth, that church would have questions or they'd have problems and Paul would write a letter to them helping them solve their problem. So when you read the New Testament, basically when you understand the churches that were planted in the book of Acts, you understand half of the New Testament because the New Testament revolves around churches being planted Churches having questions, not knowing what to do, uh, wondering about marriage, wondering about spiritual gifts, wondering about all these issues. They're new Christians. They came out of the pagan world. They don't know anything. And so they got all these questions. So Paul writes them a letter and gives them explanation. So that's why it's important because my goal as your pastor is to teach you the Bible so that you can apply it to your life, but also so that you understand enough of it so you can go home and read it yourself and grow in your faith. So uh, that's one of the things we're doing. So today, we're looking at chapter 14 of Acts, and uh, it's an exciting chapter, and I'm going to read it. Uh, It's a little bit uh, long, but I'm going to read Acts chapter 14, and I want you to listen. It's going to be on the screen. I'm reading it out of the uh, English Standard Version. Uh, We use the NIV some and the English Standard Version, but let me read uh, Acts 14 to you, and let's listen to the story, and then we'll talk about the story a little bit. Uh, Acts 14, verse 1 through 28. Now, at Iconium, they entered together into a Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So they remained for a long time, speaking for the Lord who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the people of the city were divided, some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. When an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with the rulers to mistreat them and stone them, they learned of it and fled to Lystria and Derbe, cities in Lyconia and to the surrounding country, and they continued to preach the gospel." 
Now in Lystria, this is verse 8, there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking, and Paul, looking intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, Stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up again to walk. And when the crowd saw that Paul had done, what Paul had done, he lifted up their voices, saying in the Lyconian language, The gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus, who were in the temple, uh, whose temple was at the entrance of the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifices to the crowd, or sacrifice with the crowds. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their garments and rushed out into the crowd, crying out, "Men, why are you doing these things?" We also are men of like nature like you, and we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to the living God, who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In the past generations, he was allowed the nations to walk their own ways, yet he did not leave himself without witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven, full, fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Even with these words, they were scarcely restrained from the people from offering to them." Then in verse 19, but Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city. And on the next Sabbath, he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. When they had preached the gospel to that city, he made many disciples. They returned to Lystria and Iconium and and to Antioch, straining the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Then they passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia. And when they had spoken the word to Perga, they went down to Atalia. And from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. And when they arrived, they gathered the church together. They declared all that God had done with them. And how it opened the door of faith to the Gentiles, and they remain no little time. They remain no little time with the disciples. So that's uh, Acts chapter fourteen. Now, first of all, let's do a little thing. We're going to put a map on the uh, screen here, Rick, quickly. A little geography here to see uh, where this all takes place. Uh, Paul spent most of his first missionary journey in what's called Asia Minor. Now, here's a little thing about Asia Minor. Asia Minor, hundred and fifty-six thousand square feet. 156,000 square feet. So how big is this area? This is an area about the size, uh, two-thirds of the size of Texas. So Paul spent his time in this area. This is modern-day Turkey now. So that's where he did his missionary journey. He started from, of course, uh, over here in Palestine. He went to Cyprus, this island here. We already already talked about that island about 140 miles long. The governor, the governor of the island gets saved. So the first person he preaches to in the Gentile world in Cyprus is a governor, and the governor, the proconsul appointed by the Roman Empire, he becomes a Christian. So we see this amazing thing begin to happen. And then he leaves this area, and then he goes and he sails to uh, this area. Now I want to just talk a little bit about Paul's commitment to what he's doing. Now his first missionary journey lasted about a year to two years. So he was away from home 
a year to two years. So think about that. He's been away, been away for a while. He's also traveled while he's on this missionary journey. There are no cars. There are no buses. There are no airplanes. So he travels on foot, and he travels on foot 700 miles. He walks 700 miles. Uh, so on land, while he's walking 700 miles, I hope he had a Fitbit. So if he had his Fitbit on, he's getting his steps in. How many people out there have a Fitbit? You have a Fitbit? Well, I hope Paul had his Fitbit because he's making his goal every day. 700 miles he walked, and he sailed 500 miles by boat. So he's really traveling. Now, when he's on this missionary journey, if you look at the missionary journey, the stuff that Paul's going through, there's highs and lows. There's places where, where he goes, for instance, he goes to a place called Pisidian Antioch, and um, the whole city, the whole city turns out to hear him preach because he's there the first week, he begins to talk, the Holy Spirit begins to move in the city, and as the Holy Spirit's moving in the city, the whole city the whole city comes out the next Sabbath to hear Paul. So great things are happening. The governor gets saved at Cyprus. The whole city turns out of Pisidian Antioch. All these major things are happening. Incredible things are happening in Paul's life. But also, he's getting kicked out of town after town. He gets run out of Pisidian Antioch. The authorities that be, the rich women and the influential people of the city, they kick Paul out of the city. They kick him out of the city. He goes to another city, Iconium. He's kicked out of the city. And he goes to Lystria. And he goes to Lystria. And when he's at Lystria, what happens to him at Lystria? He's stoned. He's stoned. Not with marijuana. He's stoned. He is stoned with stones. And they, uh, they drag him out of the city. Now look at this picture. This is the Apostle Paul. Little guy, boat legs, Hook nose, you know, there's a historical description of what he looked like, kind of an odd-looking kind of guy. His eyebrows, according to one historian, met. He was kind of a strange-looking guy. And they stone him because he's preaching about Jesus, and he's telling people about Jesus, and they stone him, and they think he's dead. And look at him. His face is bloody. His, his nose is maybe broken. And they drag him out of the city. And they just leave him laying there. He's, a, he's, a, he's, a, he's a, a, just a mess. He's a, physically a mess. And the disciples gather around him and they think he's dead. They think he's dead. And so they get around him and maybe they're praying over him. And all of a sudden one eye begins to open up a little bit. And then his leg begins to move. And then Paul gets up. And many people wonder. He describes in, uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter, or actually 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul describes in one of his letters about uh, being called up into the third heaven, whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know. And Paul is describing in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 of uh, being called up into heaven. And a lot of people think that this incident in Lystria was where he died. He died. He was actually killed and God raised him from the dead. And he was called up into heaven and he saw heaven and he saw Jesus and he saw Jesus again like he did on the road to Damascus. And that's why Paul was drained of fear of death. He was never afraid because he had seen a glimpse into heaven. Now, I believe that if any of us get a little glimpse into heaven, if we saw Jesus, how many, how many get a little worried about dying? Just to be honest here, you don't want to die. How many are ready to go to heaven, but you don't want to be on that next load? How many, how many of you, that's you. Maybe, maybe Paul saw heaven and he was never afraid again. And I think that if you and I just saw heaven, we just saw a little, maybe, maybe a 30 seconds of heaven. We would never be afraid to die again because we know what happens after we leave this world. But anyhow, that's what happens to Paul. 
Now here's, here's the question, the fundamental question I want to ask about Paul. He's beat, he's thrown out of town after town, uh, he's stoned. In fact, let me read something to you. This just before I uh, nail this down a little bit. Let me read to you his description of what he went through in his ministry in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, uh, verse 23. Uh, he's talking about other uh, rivals. Are they servants of Christ? Uh, I'm out of mind to talk about this. Uh, this is uh, 2 Corinthians 11. I am more, I've worked harder, been in prison more frequently. Paul was in prison all the time. He had a prison ministry. He was always in prison. Uh, been flogged more severely. Been exposed to death again and again. Five times I've received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten by it with rods. Once I was stoned. Now we know when he was stoned, he was stoned in Lystria, what we just read. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in an open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger in the sea, in danger from false brothers. I've labored and toiled, and I've often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst, and have often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face the daily pressure of my concern for the churches. Now listen, listen to that. Did you hear that? I've been flogged. I've been beaten. I've been shipwrecked. I've been cast in the open sea, floating in dorsal fins, sharks swimming around me. Let me ask a question to you. Why did Paul go through all that? Why was he willing to go through all that? Why was he willing to be stoned? Why was, he be, why was he willing to be chased out of different cities? Why was he willing to go through that? That's a great question. Why would he do that? I was talking to a friend this week, a brand new friend I met. Uh, that's from Philadelphia, a guy about my age that we've been playing tennis together. And I've been uh, talking to him a little bit. And he was telling me about his daughter. His daughter works for this a lawyer in Philadelphia, and she's a paralegal, and he was telling me about all the benefits she has. She gets 30 days off every year. She gets all these holidays off, and the company buys her lunch about four times a week, and he was talking about all the perks that his daughter had and how what a wonderful company that she worked for. Now, if you get a new job, you want to know what kind of perks are you going to get. Now, when you think about Paul, what kind of perks did he have for following Jesus? He got flogged, he got beat, he got stoned. Why was he willing to go through that? Let me tell you why he was willing to go through that. He was willing to go through that because he knew that Jesus was real. He deeply believed that Jesus was raised from the dead. He saw him on the road to Damascus, and once he saw Jesus, and he knew that Jesus was alive, he was willing to go through anything in order to serve Jesus. Now, let me give you a principle here. The principle is the deeper we believe something, the more we're willing to sacrifice for that. Say this with me. The deeper we believe, one more time, the deeper we believe in something, the more we're willing to sacrifice for it. Now, shallow belief, if I really don't believe something, I'm not going to sacrifice for it. But if I really, really, really believe in something, if I know it in my bones that it's real, I'll be willing to sacrifice for it. That's why some of you this morning, 
you got up out of bed. How many, did anybody here, let me just ask an honest question here this morning. Did anybody this morning think about staying in bed? Did you just felt like maybe not coming? Just raise your hand. I'm t- look at this honestly. Just put your hands up. It's about everybody. I woke up this morning. My alarm went off at 6 o'clock, and I was so warm in that bed. I was having a wonderful dream. I think I was playing tennis, beating everybody in my dream. It was a wonderful dream. It was warm. And you know what the worst thing about wintertime and Sussex County is getting out of bed. Isn't that terrible? It's so cold. I mean, you know, so I put one leg out. Oh, I pulled that back in. It was way too cold. So I thought about, man, wouldn't it be nice just to stay in bed this morning? I mean, just to stay in bed. Pull those covers over, you know, and get up and turn on Charles Swindoll on TV later on. You know, hey, how about that? But you know what? You know why some of you came this morning and you could have stayed home? And the reason you came is because you deeply believe in Jesus. You love Jesus. You know Jesus is real. And so you came because you deeply believe in the gospel and you deeply believe in Jesus. If you deeply believe in Jesus this morning, would you say a big amen? amen? That's why you came. Some of you, you actually tithe and you get put tithes in the offering and you give. And the reason you do that is because you deeply believe. When we had our camo feast a couple weeks ago, um, we, had, uh, uh, we had all these people that helped with the camo feast, and the camo feast was basically inviting outdoorsmen and outdoor, uh, people that like the uh, outdoors, uh, women and men that came. And we had these guys that worked for, for weeks and weeks getting ready for this event. Uh, one guy went out every Saturday for six weeks just getting door prizes and all that. And they worked hard because they believed in it and they wanted to see people come to Christ. And do you know that we had 40, about 40 to 50 people that stood up to receive Christ at the Camo Feast. Isn't that incredible? I think we should celebrate that right now. Andy Peterson, who told the story that you know, we had, uh, Andy Peterson told the story about being, uh, you know, attacked by a lion hiking in Colorado. So he told a story and then talked about Jesus and his addiction issues and all that. And, uh, and 40 to 50 people came to Jesus that day. And about 70 people made a commitment never to go hiking in Colorado. That was another thing. <laughs> I was, came in this morning and I looked at... Uh, uh, you, know, you know, I'm passionate about the parking lot ministry, and, and Joe Lennox, of course, was out there waving and, and starting our parking lot ministry. we got one parking lot person. And you know, the reason that Joe is out there uh, every Sunday morning in the cold, and he's welcoming people in our parking lot, and one day we're going to have 12 and 20 people out there. The reason he does that is because he deeply believes in what we are doing. So when you deeply believe something, you're willing to sacrifice for it. And Paul deeply, deeply believed in Jesus. He knew Jesus was was real. He knew Jesus was authentic. He saw Jesus raised from the dead. And he said, you can beat me. You can stone me. You can try to kill me. You can do whatever you want to. But I'm willing to sacrifice because I deeply believe that what Jesus is about is real. And, And one of the reasons that I'm a follower of Jesus, when I read the New Testament, how do I know this is real? How do I know this is true? I know it's true because you see a man like Paul, who was not a follower of Jesus, who is now a follower of Jesus. And the reason he's a follower of Jesus, because he saw Jesus raised from the dead, and then he was willing to go through anything in order to be a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. I was thinking this morning, before I leave this point, I was thinking about a little bit of Delaware history. How many, 
How many love our state? How many are from Delaware? You're a Delaware resident? Just raise your hand. We love Delaware. How many are Maryland uh, residents? Yes, we've got a lot of Maryland people. We've got Delaware and Maryland people. So uh, Delaware history, interesting thing happened. You know, of course, uh, when, we, uh, when, when the American Revolution was taking place, uh, Sussex County basically was very loyal to the king. And uh, the, the whole state of Delaware was pretty divided about the revolution. And, but there was uh, Newcastle County more prone toward rebelling against the king and uh, declaring independence. But we had a guy from Dover by the name of Caesar Rodney. How many ever heard of the guy named Caesar Rodney? Caesar Rodney, uh, we had three delegates from Delaware at the Continental Congress. And uh, the delegates were split. One delegate was supporting a Declaration of Independence, and the other delegate was supporting us staying loyal to the king. And so uh, it was uh, told Caesar Rodney, Caesar Rodney was not there. He was attending some, some issues, some, some what, what, what was called loyalty issues in Sussex County. A lot of people in Sussex County wanted to stay loyal to the king. And so they told uh, Caesar Rodney that the, the delegates were split. And he got, listen, he got on his horse. He got on his horse in a thunderstorm and he rode his horse 70 miles from Dover to Philadelphia in a thunderstorm and he got into Philadelphia just as the vote was starting and he signed the Declaration of Independence for our independence from England. He deeply believed in what he stood for. Now here's, here's what's interesting about that story. Uh, Caesar Rodney had, had, had cancer, face cancer at the time. If you look at some uh, very informed artists, they will paint Caesar Rodney with a, with, a, with a scarf on his face because he had face cancer and, and, and cancer of the jaw, and he covered his face because of the cancer that he had. And when he signed the Declaration of Independence, he cut himself off from physicians in London where he could never be treated because he believed so much in the cause. And you know, many people don't know this, but the next election, Caesar Rodney lost the election because of signing the Declaration of Independence because it was so controversial in Delaware. But that didn't stop him. One of his dear friends, uh, John Haslett, was killed uh, in the Battle of Princeton, and Caesar Rodney went and took his place in the Battle of Princeton. If you believe in something, you're willing to sacrifice for it. Say it with me. Say it with me. If you believe in something, you're willing to sacrifice for it. If you believe in Jesus and you believe that he's the son of God and you believe that he's been raised from the dead and you believe that this is just not a fairy tale, then we're willing to sacrifice sacrifice for it because our community needs to hear about Jesus and people in our community need to know that Jesus is real and so therefore we need to sacrifice for it because it's absolutely true and the more you believe in something, the more you're willing to sacrifice for that thing. Say it with me one more time. The more I believe in something, the more I'm willing to sacrifice for it. Now let's quickly talk about uh, what Paul did here uh, when he got to this place called Iconium. He's chased out of of Pisidian Antioch. And it says, here's here's his his, uh, modus operandi. Here's what uh, Paul did. He always went to synagogues first. It says in uh, Acts chapter 14, verse 1, at Iconium, Paul and Barnabas went as usual into the Jewish synagogue, and there they spoke so effectively that a great number of Jews and Gentiles believed. At Iconium, Paul and Barnabas went as usual, at, went as usual to a uh, Jewish synagogue. So they went as usual 
to a Jewish synagogue. Here's what they did. There were synagogues all over the Roman Empire. Wherever there were ten uh, Jewish families or more, they would set up a synagogue in all these cities. Now, synagogues in Paul's day were like royal farms. How many notice there are royal farms everywhere? I mean, they're building royal farms like crazy. I saw the other day, they were building one royal farm on top of another royal farm. So when you think about what Paul did, he went to these synagogues. And these synagogues, they didn't make sacrifice. They didn't sacrifice animals. That all happened in the temple. So what they did is they studied the law. And so they had this system where they would, they would read the law. And if there was a guest in the, community, a guest in the synagogue that was trained, now Paul, remember, he was educated, he was trained under by a guy by the name of Gamaliel, uh, one of the most famous scholars of the time. And so Paul had that credential, and so he was offered the opportunity to speak. So he would get up, and he would speak to the synagogue. They would read, a, they would read a, uh, Old Testament scripture, And then Paul would get up from that Old Testament scripture and he would preach Jesus. And it says in Iconium, as he preached Jesus, he was invited to speak at the synagogue. As he preached Jesus from the Old Testament, he looked at the Old Testament. Isaiah 53, uh, you know, describes Jesus in detail. He would take an Old Testament passage that they all knew. And they would preach Jesus and there would be people that would come to faith. Now, in the synagogue, there were Jewish people. That were Jewish people, and then there were what were called Gentile God-fearers, people that were Gentiles that believed in the God of Israel. And so they were all there, and, and people would get saved. So what does it say in Iconium? In Iconium, it says that many, many people, when they heard Paul preach the gospel, many people came to faith in Jesus, and they put their faith in Jesus. Uh, it says, uh, it says uh, they spoke so effectively uh, it says, uh, uh, verse 1, Paul and Barnabas went as usual to Jewish synagogue. There they spoke so effectively. By the way, let me just give you a couple points about speaking effectively. If you're going to speak effectively, whatever you do, whatever, you know, if you're a salesman or whatever, here's a couple things about speaking effectively. Number one, number one, know what you're talking about. Know what you're talking about. The more you know what you're talking about, the more authority you will have. So Paul knew what he was talking about. So know what you're talking about. Number two, uh, experience what you're talking about. Make sure you personally experience that. And, and number three, uh, make sure that you talk with passion. Now, listen, my, my uh, president of the Bible college I went to, Ken Summerall, he always told us as we were learning to preach, he said, if you're not excited about it, nobody else will. So Paul was excited about Jesus. He preached, and here's what it says, that a great number, a great number of Jews and Gentiles believed. A great number of Jews and Gentiles believed. So they heard Paul preach about Jesus. And they've been, they've been here in the scriptures. They knew all about the scriptures. But they weren't, they weren't, they weren't, it wasn't connecting with them. And they were looking, see religion is not where it's at. It's a personal encounter with Jesus. And so as Paul preached about Jesus, their hearts were opened. And they received Jesus. And they invited Jesus into their life. While I'm preaching today. In every crowd, when the gospel is preached, in every crowd where the gospel is preached, there's people's hearts that are being opened by the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says that as he was preaching, their hearts were opened, and many Jews and many Gentiles believed in the Lord. So when I'm preaching right now, 
the Holy Spirit's moving and I'm preaching the Bible and I'm talking about Jesus, some of you that don't know Jesus, your hearts are being open to receive Jesus. Now, when my dad, or my, not my dad, but my grandfather, my grandfather was a farmer. I grew up in Seaford. My grandfather, every spring, my grandfather was a farmer, and he always complained about farming because there wasn't enough money in it, and there wasn't enough, that didn't rain enough, or it rained too much, you know. He was a typical farmer, just always fussing about farming. And uh, he, says, he would say every year, I'm giving it up. I'm not going to farm anymore. I'm not going to farm. It's just too much trouble. I'm going to quit. But, you know, he had farming in his blood. So every, every spring, he'd be out there on that uh, little farm all tractor. His face would just be grinning, far, you know, plowing that field. Just he loved it. He loved it, and he hated it. He loved it, and he hated it. That's my, that was my granddad. But he would plow that field, and that black dirt would be turned over. And as he would turn over that black dirt, it would be prepared for the seed, for the soybeans and the corn seed to be planted in that field. And the Holy Spirit, some of you came today, and all week long the Holy Spirit has plowed your heart. He's opened you. You've discovered how empty life is, how meaningless life is. You read the book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes talks about vanity, vanity, all is vanity. Life is meaningless. Life is meaningless. It says in 1 Peter that we've been delivered from the empty way of life handed down to us from our forefathers. Life is empty without Jesus. Without Jesus, there's nothing worth living for. And some of you discovered that through your addictions and through your problems and through your depression. Life is empty without Jesus. Jesus gives meaning to, to, to life. I was doing a, a wedding yesterday, some dear friends, they don't come to the church, some friends that I know, and you know, I, I was willing to do the wedding for them, and, and I think Karen and I were maybe the only, maybe the only Jesus followers in the whole group, you know, 200 people there, and uh, you know, it was just different, and I just, I looked at their, I looked at their drinking, I looked at their partying, I looked at, you know, all they were doing, they're all trying to have fun, and I could see emptiness in their eyes. Because listen, life without Jesus is empty. Life without Jesus is empty. And, and, and those people that were listening to Paul preach, they realized how empty their life was and their hearts were prepared. And as he preached, they believed. They knew this was it. They knew this was what they needed. They knew that they needed Jesus. And if you're a follower of Jesus this morning, are you glad that you are following Jesus? Can you say big amen? amen. And they, they opened their hearts and they received the Lord. They received the Lord. And it says some refused to believe. Now the word says the way they refused to believe, the people that refused to believe, it actually says, the word literally in the Greek means that they made a conscious decision to reject Jesus. They made a conscious decision to reject Jesus. And uh, that some people, they, they hear the gospel and they make a conscious decision not to follow Jesus, not to serve Jesus. I was at my, my son Joel's house the other night. Karen and I were there. We were watching the grandkids, watching Nora and Nixon. Love my grandkids. I talk about them every week. I love them. And uh, watching Nora and Nixon. We were getting ready to leave. And, and uh, I said to Nora, uh, I said, Nora, give Papa a kiss. Give Papa a kiss. And she's a little bit of a, if you tell her to do something, she's going to do the exact opposite said, hey, give Papa a kiss. So she kind of turned away, and, and her daddy gets her down and said, now go give Papa a kiss because he doesn't want to offend the free babysitter. So anyhow, he's a, <laughs> give Papa a kiss. 
And little Nora, she's cute as she be, a little blonde hair, just cute as a Barbie doll. She's just cute as she can be. She just kind of walked by and looked at me and walked down the hall. <laughs> I said, she had a little depraved heart, that little girl. I had a little depraved heart. You know what? I love her. I wanted to take her in my arms and kiss her and tell her how much I loved her. But there's something in her heart that she just like, nobody's going to tell me what to do. And I get that. She's just having one of those days. But you know, people hear the gospel that way. They hear the gospel that way. And there's a God that wants to put them in his arms and love them and restore their life. But you know what? There's a thing, a principle in the Old Testament, New Testament, called the depravity of man. The rebellion of our heart against God. And it runs deep. Augustine, St. Augustine knew it. It runs deep in our veins that there's something. We've all gone our own way. We've resisted the hand of God, the grace of God. And we turn away. And some people refuse to believe. They refuse to believe the message. Not that they didn't know the message was true, but they refused to believe it. And they turned against Paul. My granddad, uh, that was the farmer, uh, when, when I would work with him on the farm growing up, uh, in the summertime, we would pick watermelons, and uh, he taught me how to determine if a watermelon was ripe, and we'd walk through the watermelon patch, and you know how you, you could pluck on the middle of the watermelon, and if it's ripe, it's got that hollow sound, and he would teach me, he said, now pluck right in the middle, and you can hear that sound, and so we'd pluck on some watermelons, and you know, obviously they were ready, and we'd take our pen knives out, and we would cut that vine and put the watermelon in the, in the wagon there. Some watermelons we'd pluck on and it wasn't ripe. And when Paul was preaching in Iconium, the Holy Spirit had already ripened some hearts to receive the gospel, and they came to the faith. And a wonderful, wonderful story. There's a lot more in this chapter we're not going to get to today. But I want to just encourage you this morning, if you are, uh, first of all, if you're a follower of Jesus and you deeply believe in Jesus, and you know Jesus is real, uh, that's going to translate into your sacrifice, that you're going to sacrifice for his kingdom. You're going to be faithful to that. And if you're here this morning, and, and you've discovered, like the people in Iconium, you've discovered that life is empty without Jesus, and your heart's been prepared for the gospel, then today you need to say, I'm not refusing to believe, but I'm going to believe in Jesus. I'm going to become a follower of him. Now, I'm going to ask the question before I close in prayer this morning. How many are here this morning and you are a follower of Jesus and you have no regrets? Just raise your hand and say, I'm so glad that I'm a follower of Jesus. I have no regrets. Now, if you're here this morning and you say, you know, I'm really not a follower of Jesus and I have a rebellious in my, a rebellion in my heart like little Nora, I want to go against God. I, you know, I could see it yesterday in some of those secular people. There's just this sense of rebellion you know, against the, the Word of God. And of course, whenever I'm in a secular setting, I've been asked to, I've been asked to, you know, to pray at Legislative Hall in Dover and, and do invocations at different places. And every time I go to one of those public events where it's all sector, you know, when my prayer, what I'm praying, I'm always praying in the name of Jesus. I'm never going to leave Jesus out. I'm going to pray about Jesus. I'm not just talking about God, generally speaking. I'm going to talk about Jesus because there's no other name given among men whereby we must be saved in the name of Jesus. And if you're not ashamed of the name of Jesus today, would you say a big Amen. So if you're here this morning and Jesus is not your Lord, we're going to pray for you right now to receive Jesus. And it's just very, very simple. 
Very, very simple. And uh, I, want to bow, I want to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Nobody looking around. And if you're saying, you know what? The Holy Spirit's been plowing my heart. He's been getting me ready for the gospel. And if you're here this morning and life is empty, life is meaningless. Maybe you've drifted away from God. You used to walk with God, but you're far, far away from God and you're alone. And if you want to receive Jesus this morning with your eyes closed and your head bowed, would you just lift your, head, your hand up as high as you can to say, I want to become a follower of Jesus. Lift it up real high. Don't be afraid. It's not about religion. It's not about coming to church. It's about knowing Jesus personally. Thank you so much, people lifting their hands. Anybody else want to be a part of this prayer? Just lift your hand up. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Don't be afraid. Just lift your hand up. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the power of the gospel unto salvation. Anybody else before we pray? Okay, everybody, let's just, everybody, lift your hands up to the God who we love. Just lift your hands up and say this with me. Lord Jesus, I know you're real. Uh, Paul proves that the gospel is real. And so, Lord, I commit myself to following you. I am a sinner. I'm empty. I've rebelled against you. And I turn my face toward you. I look at the cross and I know that you'd paid the penalty for all of my sins, for all of my wickedness. I repent of my sins. I turn from my sins. And Jesus, I believe in you. You're the only way that I can be saved. And say this with me out loud. I believe you died on the cross for all my sins. I believe you're the son of God and you've been raised from the dead. And finally, this last thing, I make you Lord and Master of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen.